Welcome to the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. This episode contains a sermon from May 2nd by Pastor Randy, titled, Who's Your One? Part 8. I want to congratulate you this morning, because you're all here in what is an historic occasion in the life of Grandview Baptist Church. Because this is the last Sunday in our series of Who's Your One? You made it through these couple of months of this. So congratulations on, on, this, on this occasion. Then the idea behind this whole who's your one is that God's plan to reach the world, God's heart, the revelation of his love for us, of his glory, is all wrapped up in one of us having a one other person that we pray for, that, uh, that we share the gospel with, that we disciple till they come to the point where they are connected to God. And what we have been looking at in the last couple of weeks is that God is always working toward this goal in seen ways and unseen ways. He is working so that someone gets with someone else to share with them about the one and only. And, and the thing that I want you to understand as we've been looking at the last couple of weeks is how God works so hard at this. There's a pastor in Seattle. His name is Milton Jones. He's written several books. You may have heard of him or read some of his books. But one day he's preaching on witnessing. And, and in the service that day is a man named Stanley Ship, And he's so impressed by the gospel that when he leaves for vacation next day, because next day he goes to Breckenridge for a ski vacation, he decides because that sermon that he heard that he's going to, he's going to ski alone the whole time. In other words, he's going to get on a ski lift. And how that works is that they won't put as many people on a ski lift together. So he's going to be put with someone for that 10-minute ride up the mountain. And so he says, I'm going to ski alone. So for that 10-minute ride up the mountain, I have someone, sort of a captive audience, that I can share the gospel with. And he happens to meet on one of his lift rides a girl from Seattle. And so he says, oh, from Seattle, when you get back home, you, 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 look, you look up Milton Jones. Milton, remember that name? Because he has something important he wants to tell you. Milton Jones. And so his leader says, don't forget, when you get back to Seattle, Milton Jones, she just thinks he's sort of crazy. So she finishes skiing. She goes back to Seattle. When she, get back to work, she gets back to work that week, uh, another co-worker asks her to go to a Bible study, but she refuses. And so a week later, she's on a bus uh, heading home after work. And on that bus across the aisle is a young man she gets to talk to. And he says, hey, I'm on my way to a Bible study now. Would you like to join me? Well, she on a whim says yes. So she shows up to that Bible study. And who else is at that Bible study besides her co-worker from work is at the Bible study. And who's leading that Bible study is a nice man. His name is Milton Jones. So she goes up to him afterwards and says, I know you're going to think this is crazy, but do you know a guy named Stanley who skis? He goes, I sure do. And so that conversation led to another conversation, which led to her becoming a Christ follower. Do you understand how God is is busy at work, getting someone to come to someone to tell them about the one and only. This is his message of, of getting his glory out there, his salvation out there, his love for the world out there is by each one of us having a one. Now, 
Years ago, most of you won't remember this or weren't involved, but, but years ago, there was a thing that we did in a lot of Baptist churches. Some called it door knocking. It was sort of like what the, the Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses do, where a couple people from the church, they would go to the neighborhood and, and just go from door to door to door. And they would knock on a door and introduce themselves and then right away start asking very personal questions about their spiritual lives. Anybody ever do that? Okay, a few. So these two guys, they go to this door, they knock on it, lady comes to the door, they introduce themselves, and they just start right away asking very personal questions. Well, this doesn't sit well with her. She gets irate real quick. And so she takes her screen door and slams it. And miraculously, it just comes right back to her. So she takes it and slams it again. Supernaturally, it just sort of pops right back at her. And so she's getting ready to a third time to slam the screen door when one of the guys says, ma'am, before you do that, you might want to move your cat. And that cat is probably the only cat that ever has a chance of going to heaven because at least that cat tried to keep the door open, right? <laughs> now, you're going to have a chance to share the gospel. You're going to have a chance to, to, to get involved in other people's lives. And sometimes the door will be open and sometimes it may not. But the important thing is, is that you don't sit back passively waiting. You understand this is how God wants to reach the world. This is how he wants to show his glory to, to share the gospel. And so you, you take those moments because he always told the church to go to the world, not the world to come to the church. And so we've been looking at that the past couple of weeks. We saw how Philip went to the Ethiopian. We saw how Ananias went to Saul. And we're going to see again how someone goes to someone else again to tell them about the one and only. And so let's start this. Uh, when Philip goes, goes to the Ethiopian, that's Acts chapter 8. And Ananias going to Saul is Acts chapter 9. Now this is Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 1. There's a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment. He was a devout man and feared God along with his whole household. He did many charitable deeds for the Jewish people and always prayed to God. About three in the afternoon, he distinctly saw in a vision an angel of God who came in and said to him, Cornelius. Staring at him in awe, he said, what is it, Lord? The angel told him, your prayers and your acts of charity have ascended as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and call for Simon, who is also named Peter. He is lodging with Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. Now, here's the thing I want you to understand. Cornelius is a centurion. Centurions are mentioned Oh, around five or six times or so in the Bible, and they're always mentioned positively. They're always mentioned in the good light. But the thing you need to realize, the thing you need to understand about people like these centurions who are always mentioned in, in good light is simply this truth right here, that no one gets to heaven by being a good person. Nobody. Nobody gets to heaven by being a good person. But Cornelius, he is a good guy. Okay, he, he's got good morals. He's God-fearing, we read. He's, he prays devoutly, so he's got a devout prayer life. And he gives. He gives to help people out, so he's a generous giver. But in spite of all that, there's one thing that he lacks. He lacks. 
And that's an answer for his sins. Because here's the issue that we're up against is that many people, they have the problem that God would ever send good people to hell. But God does not send good people to hell. Their sin sends them to hell. We're all born with sin. And if we don't have Jesus, we need a Savior. We need to answer for that. But what many people think is they believe this lie that because they're good, that they're going to go to heaven, that they'll be okay. Around 87% of the people in our country believe in heaven. Almost that many believe they're going there. They think it's going to all work out. God wouldn't send good people to hell. It's, it's going to all work out. It'll just be smooth and it'll all work out. But if God is going to allow good people to come into heaven, don't you think he ought to know what makes a person good? Where that line is at? What determines whether you're good or not? Is it 51% good? Is it 76% good? If God allows good people into heaven, he at least owes us what that standard of good is. Some people will say it's living by the Bible. But the Bible says for all sin and fall short of the glory of God. That means everybody tried, but nobody made it. The Bible says that there is no one is righteous, not even one. That means there are no good people. The Bible says that no one is made righteous by keeping the law. That means you're not going to get to heaven and God's going to say, you did such a good job at keeping the Ten Commandments. Why don't you come on into heaven? The Ten Commandments aren't even associated with heaven. It's not even implied that, that keeping commandments will get you into heaven. So if you think by being a good person, you're going to get to heaven, you didn't get that from the Bible. The other problem with believing in a system that says good people go to heaven is there's no consensus according to what's good. That varies. We're in a country where at some point people believed that slavery was good and taking land that belonged to Indians. Indians, that was okay too. They didn't have any problem with that. I think Hitler was wrong. Hitler thought he was right. Who am I to say? There are countries you can go to right now and they are they're openly practicing genocide, that they're killing people based on their race or based on their tribe that they come from, and they usually have religious reasons for doing that. Now, I think they're wrong. But again, who am I to say? See, there's not any consensus for good between nations. There's not even consensus for good in this, own, in this room right now. Be honest. If you think that good people go to heaven, you really have no idea where you stand. You think, you're thinking on the basis that, that what's important to God You've made that up. you made up in your own mind what you think is important to God and what's not. It's like this. The system that believes that 
good people go to heaven is like the teacher that comes to class, first day of class. She says, okay, class, in the semester, there's going to be a test. One test in this class, pass, fail. Class dismissed. Oh, hand in the back. Any notes that we can look over? Nope, no notes. Anything we can read? No, nothing you can read. Anybody we can talk to that has a test that knows what's going to be on test? No, nobody you can talk to. Class dismissed. To believe in a system that says good people go to heaven is like going to a new job and them telling you, okay, in three months there's going to be an evaluation that's going to determine whether you're going to get to keep this job or not. Was there a job description? No, sorry. Can you tell me what I'm going to be evaluated on? No, can't tell you that. To believe that good people go to heaven is like showing up for a race and going, okay, how long is this race? Have no idea. Where's the course? Don't know. Where's the finish line? We'll let you know when you cross it. Gun goes off, everybody just scatters. Because you have to be honest with yourself. If you believe that good people go to heaven, you're going by a standard that you made up. And that's the whole problem. You made it up. And I promise you this, you set the standard, you put the bar in a place where you can reach it. What you did is you found somebody who's, who's not a very good person and you put the bar a little bit above that and you said, okay, that's my bar, that's my standard. To believe that good people go to heaven is such a flimsy idea, it's so ridiculous, it can fall apart with just a little bit of analysis. And hey, if good people can get to heaven, then what's the point of the cross anyway? So here's the thing right here. The Bible doesn't teach that good people go to heaven. And I'm afraid to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. Because we talked about this many times before. The Bible doesn't teach that good people go to heaven, but that... Yeah, you cheated. But that forgiven people go to heaven, okay? That's what Jesus taught. It's what the Bible teaches. All right, let's continue on with our Acts chapter 10. The next day, as they were traveling near the city, Peter went up to pray on the roof about noon. This is the people that Cornelius sent. And they're getting near where Peter's at. Peter goes up to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat. But while they were preparing something, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven open and an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners to the earth. In it were all the four-footed animals and reptiles of the earth and the birds of the sky. A voice said to him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. No, Lord, Peter said, for I have never eaten anything impure and richly unclean. Again, a second time, the voice said to him, what God has made clean, do not call impure. That happened three times, and suddenly the object was taken up into heaven. So, two words that should never go together are no Lord, and Peter gets rebuked for that. But what I want you to understand is how God was not just working with Cornelius and sending him a vision. He was also working with Peter. Just like we saw that, that he was working with Philip and the Ethiopian, just like he was working with, with Ananias and with Saul. He's working with both these guys. See, God wanted Peter 
and us to know that he has a world on his heart, that he's a whosoever will God. But there's a problem. The problem is a lot of us is we have things in us and our traditions and our background that, that keep us from wanting to make a move to have this one as our one person. In other words, we have a lot of stuff on our sheets. I don't have anything in common with that person. Why are their pants so baggy? Why are their pants so tight? Why do they have all these tattoos and piercings? Why can't they learn English? All these things that will keep us from having a one. Three times God sends this to Peter before he began to wise up. How many times does God have to tell you? And even when Peter finally makes it to Cornelius' house, here's what he said. Peter said to them, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner, but God has shown me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. So he gets there. He starts preaching to them. Then the Holy Spirit sort of gets tired of his preaching and the Holy Spirit just falls down in the whole place. And here's what happens next. Peter began to speak. Now I truly understand that God doesn't show favoritism, but in every nation, the person who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. He sent the message to the Israelites, proclaiming the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You know the events that took place through all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, and how he went about doing good and healing all who were under the tyranny of the devil because God was with him. We ourselves are witnesses of everything that he did in both Judean country and in Jerusalem, and yet they killed him by hanging him on a tree. But God raised this man up on the third day and caused him to be seen, not by all the people, but by us whom God appointed as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. All the peoples, all the prophets testify about him that through his name, everyone who believes in him receives the forgiveness of sins. So all through these stories, we see where there's angels, there's visions, there's voices, but not one time does any of those angels or visions or voices share the gospel. God always uses other people to do that. Always. It's our job. He wants the, 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 the gospel, the, the goodness of the gospel to come from our mouths. He sets everything up. He works in Peter to set this up. He's working Cornelius to set this up. But he, instead of using those angels' voices to go directly to Cornelius, he says, no, no, the gospel has to come through your mouth, Peter. Just like we saw it had to happen through Ananias' mouth and through Philip's mouth. It comes through us. See, Jesus promised to empower us to witness. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will be my witnesses. In other words, it's in your DNA to do this, guys. When you become a Christian, this becomes a part of who you are, the ability to witness. So don't tell me you can't do it. 
Don't tell me you can't come and share with another person the gospel, that you don't have that ability to do this. And here's the thing. I probably haven't said anything this morning you disagree with. You're all not in agreement, but the chance, But where's the problem? Will it become part of your life? Do you have resolve to, to move out into the harvest? Or do you have too many things on your sheet that's keeping you from doing that? Or are there biases on your sheet that's keeping you from going to someone else? Maybe it's religious tradition that's keeping you from going to somebody else. Maybe it's sin in your own life that's keeping you from going to somebody else. Here's what I challenge you to do. Pray, Lord, show me what's still on my sheet. Show me, Lord. Is it just a lack of love for you? Because if you love God, what's on God's heart is going to be on your heart, and what's on God's heart is the world. That's what's on his heart. What's on your heart? So, this is the last of this series. And I want to wrap it up this way. We read in John where Jesus and his disciples go through Samaria. I'm sure disciples didn't like that, didn't care for Samaritans at that point. Wasn't good. But they travel through Samaria. Jesus is tired. He's sitting by a well. Disciples go into town to buy some food. And while they're going to buy the food, we know the, the story of the Samaritan woman. She comes out to the well. Jesus leads her to himself. Disciples come back. While a Samaritan woman is rushing out in town to go tell everybody about this man that's totally changed her life. Could this be the Messiah? The disciples come back. Hey, we got some food, Jesus. Jesus says, I'm good. Here's what he says. My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Jesus told them, don't you say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they're ready for harvest. So he says to them, look, I've been fulfilled. I, I've, I had this need within me, but it's been met when I brought this woman to understand who I was. Here's what I simply want you to, to take away from this series. At the end of your life, what's going to be important to you is not that gold watch the company gives you. It's not your accolades. It's not all your accomplishments. What's going to be important to you is the impact you had on ones on other people. That's what's going to be important to you. Louis Pasteur, we know that name. We learned him about him in school, right? All these accomplishments, breakthroughs, diseases and other things. Well, in his day, thousands of people were dying from rabies, getting bit by rabid animals. So he set about trying to find a cure for that. Then one day, a boy named Joseph, nine-year-old boy named Joseph, is bit by a dog. A death sentence. 
His mother begs Pasteur to please do something. Please do something. He said, no, the serum is not ready. The vaccine is not ready yet. It has never been tested on humans. It's not ready yet. She begs him. He decides he's probably going to die anyway. So he and some other doctors began giving him shots, one a day for 10 days. And Joseph did what nobody else has ever done. He lived. And then later on in his life, Louis Pasteur is asked, what would you like on your tombstone? He said three words. Joseph Meister lived. Because see, what's going to be important to you at the end of your life is the impact you had on other ones. This is what I want you to say. At the end of your life, you'll care about the impact you had on other people. So here's the thing. Tomorrow... You're going to work, you're going to school, you're going wherever you go, and you're going to be surrounded by people who are so precious to God that he sent his only son to die for them. The question is, is that going to have an impact on your life? Is that going to to encourage you to share the heart of God and to find someone, one person that you can pray for, you can disciple, that you can pray this, Father, I want that person to hear about you. I want them to come into a close relationship with you and use me to do it. Use my voice to do it. Are you willing to pray like that? Then there are some of you here, you think good people are going to go to heaven and you think you're one of the good people. I've never met anybody who thinks God's going to gather up all the good people today and take them to heaven and that they're not one of the good people. If you believe that, you think you're one of the good people. But being good is not good enough. We all have a sin problem. And you can be good all you want, but if you don't have an answer for a sin problem, you don't have a Savior, you're in trouble. The Bible's clear about this. And maybe you're ready to admit Father, being good is not good enough. I need to come and surrender to a Savior. I need a Savior. I need you who come and took my sins upon himself. I need my trust to be in that and not in my goodness. And maybe you're ready to make that decision this morning. Thank you for tuning into the podcast of Grandview Baptist Church in Anchorage, Alaska. For more information, check out our website at gbcak.org. Thank you.